Thank you for joining the Pinewood Church Podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you fresh perspective on how God is moving in your life. For more information, visit us at pinewoodboulder.com. Enjoy the message. So we're working through the book of Colossians, uh, a book that I believe is very timely for us, not only just uh, in just this time of life that we're living in, but also in the culture that we're in. Uh, the book of Colossians, if you were going to uh, talk about a theme of Colossians, is talking about the absolute supremacy and soul sufficiency of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And Pauline's heavy into that in this letter to the church at Colossae. Paul is actually the author of this letter, and he's writing from prison in Rome. What did you do in Rome, in prison? Well, I wrote uh, a lot of the Bible, actually. Uh, He wrote, this this is one of four books known as the uh, prison epistles, and he's writing to these churches, and this one specifically is to the church at Colossae, a place that Paul actually never visited. But there was a church planter that came out of one of his missionary journeys that moved back, we believe, back to his native home with some other converts to plant this church, Epaphras. And he actually got word from Epaphras that that there was some heresy that was creeping into this church. And the heresy, the, the specific heresy is known as syncretism. And it's this strange mix You have this Christianity on one side. You have this kind of Jewish legalism, kind of some of those principles creeping in. And then this Greek philosophy also speaking in. And when you kind of morph all of those things together, you end up with this syncretism. It later became known as as Gnosticism. You're like, wow, what are all these syncretism, Gnosticism? Where are you even taking me right now? I'm going to explain. Gnostic comes from a Greek word that means to know. So these people were starting to form this kind of religion and belief system that there had to be this hidden or special knowledge for you to know God. A secret or special hidden knowledge. And also, we kind of built within that is this idea that everything on the earth, everything physical is corrupt and evil, but everything spiritual is good. And so the Within this idea of Gnosticism, you have Jesus being reduced down to just a man. Because how could Jesus become man and born in this earth and not be corrupt? And so because of philosophy, you reduced Jesus' deity, which we believe at Pinewood Church is not okay. Uh, We believe that Jesus is absolute supreme. That he's superior, better than everything. He's at the top. And we see in this letter that Paul wrote, Paul over and over is just fixing their bad theology and the heresy that had creeped in. So over the next few weeks, we, talked, we already unpacked the first several verses, the uh, first 15 verses last week, and we're going to just continue working our way through the book. After, after the study for the message for this week, I was like, I don't think we're making it through the book, team. 
Sorry, we're gonna, we're, it's, uh, we may make it halfway. We'll have to pick it up on the rest of the half later. But uh, there's just a lot here that I, I really don't want to rush. I want to take our time on uh, just because of the weight of it. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Uh, it, in college, my, uh, some friends of mine, we went on a West Coast trip, and for the first time in my life, I had seen a lot of amazing things, but for the first time in my life, I got to see the West Coast. I got to travel from North Carolina all the way to Seattle. We worked our way down into California, and so just over and over and over again, my mind was blown by the West Coast. The second that I pulled into the West, I was like, why have I grown up in the East? This is my home. These are my people. What have I been doing for the last 20 years of my life? We pulled up and we got to see the Tetons. I don't know if you've ever seen the Tetons, but they're amazing. My goodness. There's this lake that's at the bottom of the Tetons. I'd never seen anything like it. Only thing I knew were the Appalachian Mountains, which don't get me wrong, are pretty amazing too. Come on, East Coast people. We love the AT. We love Smoky Mountains. And we really love Dollywood. Don't judge. Not Dolly Parton. Dollywood is the theme park. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. You see, y'all know the West. I know the East. But I saw the Tetons, and honestly, the Tetons for me were much more amazing than I could have ever imagined. I've seen pictures, but when I saw them with the lake on the bottom, I'm like, whoa, there's nothing like the Tetons. And then I went into the Redwoods, and I saw the, these big, amazing Redwoods. And I was like, I had no idea trees could be this big. Like, huge trees, big as the stage. I'm like, I love the Redwoods. Then I went to Sequoia National Park. Same. I drove through a tree. Like, for me, I was just, like, what? We have oak trees. We don't have sequoia trees. I've never seen anything like it. Much bigger than I could have ever imagined. Then we went and saw the Grand Canyon. Same. I just stood. I walked out on the Grand Canyon. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you've probably felt the same emotion. But when you walk out on the Grand Canyon, you're just like, you can't even talk. You're like, what is this? How big is God right now? You're just awestruck over him. Your heart is just longing for worship for him. You're like, wow, like, how beautiful is God to create this, this beautiful ravine? And then, and then my favorite national park of all time. Everybody already knows. I know it's your favorite too. Zion National Park. Whose favorite park is Zion? Anybody have, that's their favorite? Zion National Park? It's the coolest, man. I remember driving through after seeing all of that, thinking it cannot get any better. Go to Zion. If you've been all around the world and you're like, it can't get better than this, go to Zion. It will change your life. You're like, man, I'm learning something in church today. We're talking about national parks. Zion National Park will change your life. We drove in and I just remember looking out my windows and tilting my head like this and not being able to see the tops of these mountains. That's insane. Just these sheer cliffs going up thousands and thousands of feet high. And then hiking up this one hike called Angel's Landing and and almost dying because you have to like walk across this like little platform where there's like death on both sides. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I made it. I'm here. But I remember getting to the edge of Angel's Landing, looking out over the ravines, thinking, wow, I, like, I did not know God was this big. Like, he's much bigger than I thought. Like, I've known God, but man, he is bigger than I thought. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you're taking notes, the title is Bigger Than I Thought. 
And we're going to be looking at 1 Colossians 15, 1, 15 through 20. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come up. <laughs> I'm just going to close right there. Just 20 minutes of worship as we think about that verse. Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this letter, for the inspiration behind it. We thank you that it, um, that it's alive. We thank you that it's going to speak to us today. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit be the teacher today as we encounter your word and that we would leave different than the way that we came. We believe that your word, as it goes forth, it has a purpose. And that as it's sent, it will accomplish that purpose, Father. So we believe that we're going to leave encouraged and leave inspired and leave with a bigger understanding of who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I've unpacked this first chapter into four categories. And so if you're taking notes, these are the four categories. This, we're talking about Christ's supremacy declared in four ways. Christ's supremacy declared in four ways. The first was verses 1 through 12. We looked at how his supremacy was declared in the gospel message. And again, if you want to go back, you can watch, you can listen to that, you can read that for yourself later on. But we see his supremacy declared in the gospel message. The second, we see his supremacy declared in redemption. I thought we looked at verses 12 through 14. And tonight, we're going to see how far we can get with it. We're going to be looking at Christ's supremacy declared in creation. In creation. Verse 15, we're just going to be working through the text, says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And remember what I was saying earlier about some of the heresy that had creeped in? You see what Paul is doing here? He's correcting some of that heresy by saying, Okay, Jesus, yes, he came, and Jesus was God. Jesus was God. He's not only equal to God, Jesus was God, as we see in the text. He's the image of the invisible God. And I just brought in some extra scripture. I mean, there's a lot of scripture that we could unpack as far as where it says that Jesus is God, but I'm just going to hit these three real fast. John 10.30. John 10.30. I and the Father are one. What? Yeah, because he's the image of the invisible God. John 10, 38. The Father is in me, and I in the Father. John 10, if you go back and read that story, 
Jesus was being impressed on like he always was. And they were going to try to stone him and going to try to kill him because he was blaspheming. And he was like, what, what have I done that you would want to stone me? You know, I mean, he's, he's healing people. And they're like, well, you're a man claiming to be God. And, God, and, and Jesus doesn't back down and say, you're right. Sorry, didn't mean to blaspheme there. No, no, no. He leans in even harder. Uh, the Father is in me, and I in the Father. He and I are one. That's about as in your face as it can get. And then the scriptures say that Jesus was just gone. He was just like, you think you're going to give me today? Not today. I'm out. You're not stoning me today. It's not my time. Next we see another passage in John 12, 45. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. The one who sees me sees him who sent me. John 12, 45. Jesus, as we see even just in these texts and other texts, is the exact representation of God in flesh. He, here he is. He's Jesus. He's God. Now, this right here. I was, I was studying this text. I'm like, okay, how can I say he's the image of the invisible God and not go down the road of the Trinity? So we're going there. We're going to talk about the Trinity for a minute. If you're here today and, and you may be new to faith, new to Christianity, this might just blow your mind just a little because it kind of blows my mind. But we're going to try to simplify it so that we can understand what the scriptures has to say about it as, as best as we possibly can. Oh, can we go there together today? Down the road of the Trinity. The nature of the Trinity. Who's the Trinity? What does the scripture say the Trinity is? The scripture says that the nature of the Trinity is that there's one God and three persons. One God, three persons. Not Father plus the Son plus the Holy Spirit equals three gods. Not that equation, but in somehow, in God's sovereignty and mystery, it's somehow a, a Father times the Son times the Holy Spirit equals one God. Father, God the Father is 100% God. God the Son is 100% God. God the Holy Spirit, 100% God. Is that clear? Exactly. That's why we're going to keep talking about it. Let's keep unpacking it for a minute. Some references of Scripture. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, but if you want to go back and have a further study on them, it's Deuteronomy 6.4. These are passages that reference that God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. 1 Corinthians 8.4. And 1 Timothy 2.5. said, our God, the Lord, is what? One. 1 Timothy 2.5. Uh, there's a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem. Some of you here today may have studied theology and had the privilege of reading his 10,743-page uh, book on systematic theology. Uh, he's an incredible theologian. Uh, he has this. This is what he says about the Trinity. The being of each person is equal to the whole being of God. That's what I said earlier. They're each 100% fully God. Uh, another theologian by the name of Norman Geisler, look some of these theologians up, great credible sources, it says this, God is one essence, the essence is the what, if you're thinking what is the essence, it's the being, it's the what of who he is, it's the what you are, God is one essence but three persons which is the who you are, 
So one what, one God, three persons. I'm, uh, I'm going to need some help here, uh, if that's okay. I'm going to need three, three people to help me illustrate this. Can I get three volunteers up here real quick? I'm just going to try it. This, I'm, I'm going to try to simplify it. We got one. Okay, one more. All right, I need one more. Okay. Hey, uh, got, can, got, can you uh, stand right here? Uh, can Jayton, can you stand right here? All right. Now, I'm going to illustrate this this way. You ready for this? Trust me, I didn't learn this in theology class. This is just, this is all me right here. This is, I'll just try to help you understand. Nobody to blame here but me. Here we go. So we have three persons of the Trinity. Listen, don't let this get to y'all's head, okay? This is just an illustration. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Don't let, like I said, don't let it get to your head. You may be mad, Holy Spirit, but in this moment, come on. (laughs) We have three persons here. Each one is 100% God. But, in essence, they're one. And this is going to be crazy, but y'all ready for this? We're going we're gonna to do something here. It's like this. Stand in front right here. You stand behind right here. It's one. For that middle section, you see one, right? But in reality, it's really three. Whoa. Right now, everybody's like, now I get it. I finally understand the Trinity. I've been studying that for years. No, 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 no. All right, let's, let's, let's see what the Scripture has to say a little bit more about it. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture says this, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, hold on, as you build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Jude 1. All right, continuing on. John 14, 6 says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through the Holy Spirit. Not through the Father. Through me. Through Jesus. John 14, 6. Then, moving on in Ephesians 2, 8. For through Him we have access in one Spirit to the Father. One essence, one God, three distinct persons of the trinity let's illustrate it this way this is going to be crazy but i want you to turn this way it's just getting more intense i want you to turn this way and i want you to spread your legs all right so i'm with the spirit we pray in the spirit through jesus so that we can get to the Father, <laughs> and we can talk to him, and w- how you doing? What's up? All right, let's go. That's, that's all. Thank you guys so much. Give, give it up for the team, the Trinity, the nature of the Trinity. Did you see that? They're, the, they're one, but are very distinct. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures we see in this is in Jesus' final command where he says to go and make disciples of all nations, and he says to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there aren't levels. They're equal. They're one. And when we baptize, we baptize in one God, three persons. Everybody understand the nature of the Trinity? 
I, if, you need, if you want further research, we can go there. Let's go. But I think, I think we covered it for now. The Trinity, the image of the invisible God. And then he says, the firstborn over all creation. Now, you maybe have read that. We actually read this in our cruise this week. And you may have read that and said, okay, I get it. What about that? Well, firstborn, so you're telling me that he was created? How does that make any sense? I love, I love what Paul does here. He, do, he goes straight at what they think, and he takes them to another level. You see, this passage is, what this reference is referring to is not his origins. He was the first of many created. No, no, no. It's his position. It's as if he's the prince and a royal priest with that is the firstborn. It's speaking of his rank, his priority, his authority over everything. This is, it's a continuation of the theme. And I'm not just saying that. And I know where this is mentioned many, many other places in Scripture as well. David references it in, in Psalms 89, 27. And then in Exodus, again, where he calls the Israelites the firstborn. He's not, they weren't the firstborn, but what was he saying? He was referring to their priority, to their position, to their rank. And that's what he does here in the text as well. Moving on, verse 16. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You, you love the language in this text, all things, everything, through him and for him. He's not leaving a whole lot of room for like Jesus and. It's not like Jesus and these other gods. Jesus and your philosophy. Jesus and your traditions and your religion. It's just, and we said this last week, it's just Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's all supreme. It's all we need. It's enough. The false teachers were teaching that everything physical was corrupt. And I love how he goes straight at addressing the physical and the spiritual. The things you see, the dominions, and the things that you touch, he's like, no, 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 no. Everything was created by him, and through him, and for him. And you can imagine in that day, man, my goodness, what would they have been thinking? I love how clear he teaches this. He's telling them that Jesus has no rivals, that he has no equals. Does that sound like a song? Sorry, I just... Maybe I, should, maybe I should write that. I don't know. It's just coming to me. But I actually, actually, side note about this text. I'm not going to rabbit trail. Side note about this text. This is actually thought to have been a hymn in that day. And even the way, if you watch in, it, in the text, if maybe your Bibles have it this way, the letter, the way this text is actually written, it's thought to have been a hymn or a song. So that's why many of the songs that we sing, you'll realize, oh, wait, it's actually from this text. But being from Boulder, uh, being, living in Boulder, not being from Boulder, living in Boulder or living in Colorado in general, I feel like makes this text so relevant to us. If you've ever walked around on a hike or you go skiing, okay, just, just show of hands, audience participation, who's a skier? So we're almost everybody in the house. Who's a hiker? We're, who hikes? Okay, so we have hikers, we have skiers, runners, any runners? All right, 
Does anybody ever, at any point in your life, drive 36 into Boulder? Does anybody ever, at any point in your life? Okay. So, you're people that are well acquainted with the beauty of God and His creation. My goodness, every time that I drive over that hill with some worship music on, it's just like a little extra. You know what I'm saying? I see you move, and you're like, you're coming over that hill. Come move that mountain. We do it. We're not, we believe it. And it's just I'm a little extra. Or we are here for you. Come on, who's been singing that jam? But when you look out over God's creation, it draws your heart to worship. And I love in this text how Paul is clearly speaking to the supremacy of God over all creation. His creation should draw our hearts to worship. It's going to draw our heart to worship something for sure. And it's my hope and prayer for you today that it doesn't draw your heart to worship the slopes, to worship the trees, to worship the mountains. But it's my hope and my prayer for you that it causes our heart to worship God. I also believe from this text that Paul is specifically talk, pointing out a false doctrine that had creeped into the Colossians church where they were worshiping angels. You can see that in uh, chapter 2, verses 18, where there's this inclination that they're actually worshiping angels. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Even the angels submit to the authority of Jesus. What? It's because he's supreme. There is no second. Verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. All things were created by God, and all things are sustained by God, by Jesus. Therefore, this makes us not independent. You're like, oh, I'm independent. Well, not really, because apparently from Scripture, Jesus created everything and he sustains everything. Therefore, we have a dependence on him that I think is beautiful. I'd much rather depend on the Creator than myself. I can trust the Creator who holds everything, who sustains everything. Um, it was a different West Coast trip, but I was driving uh, through Utah. Not much in Utah except for Salt Lake City. Shout out some other things. And we were driving through Utah. We drove way far away from the city. We were in the middle of nowhere. Then we parked. Then we hiked even further into the middle of nowhere. And we were camping out. And I remember going to the top of one of these little mountains, literally in the middle of nowhere, in Utah, and looking up at the sky and thinking, whoa, I've never seen this many stars. Again, God, you're bigger than I thought. Whoa, wow. Like, I wonder how many stars I'm looking at right now. I wonder how far away those stars are. God, you created this? And my heart just began to long for him and the mystery of him and to know him more. And just really even in those, those moments just to say like, wow, like here I am, this tiny little person. Here you are, creator of the stars. And I'm like, it creates this, this worship this surrender and submission to God. And, and so I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, a, a nerd when it comes to astrology. I really don't know much about it, but I probably watched like thousands of hours of uh, videos of astrology because it, the, the idea of 
something out there that we may never, ever, ever understand, it's, I love it. It draws me in somehow. Like a black hole, like the smartest man in the world couldn't figure that out. I want to try to figure it out. I want to know more about what is this crazy warp hole thing that sucks in infinity? I, I, don't, I don't know. Whoa. But I was thinking about the stars, and I jotted down some things here. Speaking of how big our God is, and I just, I just hope, uh, I just want you to settle into these, these stats for just a second and just think about how big God is, who created everything, who sustains everything, who created everything by Him, through Him, for Him, and His supremacy in all things. Listen to some of these things. 210 billion trillion stars in our observable galaxy. Observable. That night, I actually did some research on how many stars I was looking at, and it's thought that in a very dark, clear space, uh, in the middle of nowhere, you could be looking at any time at 4,500 stars. Listen, 4,500 stars might as well have been like a million. I'm looking up, and all I see is stars, and they're shooting like crazy across the sky. If you've ever been in a place like that when you can see that many stars, it's not like as a kid when you're waiting around for hours and hours and like, oh, I saw one. No, it's like constant, oh, there's one, there's one, there's one. So I was looking at about 4,500 stars, but that's nothing related to the, the galaxies that are out there. Two trillion, as of right now, it's believed that there are two trillion observable galaxies, 10 times more than any previously thought. 10 times. The Hubble telescope brought many of those, and they estimated that there was about 100 to 200 billion observable galaxies, and now we know there's over 2 trillion observable galaxies in the universe. And it's widely believed, which I think this is actually kind of comical when I came across this on one of the astrology websites. They said, it's commonly believed among astrologers that we only know 10% of the universe and have discovered and studied only 10% of the universe. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so we believe that the universe is like infinite, so like like maybe probably doesn't have an end. Where do you get 90%? Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of funny to me. I'm kind of like, isn't it like 100%? Like we don't know like 100% of the galaxy that's out there. But we know 2 trillion observable galaxies, roughly 4,500 stars in the sky on a clear night. Our Milky Way is home to over 300 billion stars. So let's just say, for example, uh, 2 trillion galaxies Let's take an average of what we have in our Milky Way. And I did the math, just real quick, on some paper. AKA, I Googled how many 2 trillion times 300 billion, and the number is 800 sextillion. Everybody know how many that is? That is an eight with 23 zeros after it. That's how many stars we think that we know of, maybe. The furthest galaxy that we know of is 13.3 billion light years away. You're like, that doesn't sound like that far. Okay. A light year is 5.88 trillion miles. And the furthest galaxy we know of is 13.3 billion light years away. For reference, it's the M-A-C-S-O-647 dash J-D. Look it up. Look it up. 13.3 billion light years away. So, lots of stars. Lots of stuff that we don't understand really, really, really far from us. 
And just to get even crazier, as if that's not even crazy enough, that Jesus spoke all that into existence, that, that it's through Jesus all creation is in existence, and everything in creation, from the stars to the mountains to the trees to the things we see and touch and feel, is all for Jesus. If all of that isn't even crazy enough, I was doing some research on the nature of a star. Now, I'm not going to get into what a star is and how it holds itself together, because I don't know how. I wouldn't be able to do that even if I tried. But one article specifically said that every star has perfect harmony that holds it together. Harmony in every single one of those stars. Eight sextillion stars have all perfect harmony. How amazing is God? How big is God? And, and I wanted to end with this idea of, of just God's supremacy over all creation because I want to encourage somebody here today. The God that spoke all that into existence, the God that created all of those things by Him, for Him, is the God, is the Jesus who came down to earth, 100% God, 100% divine, lived a perfect sinless life, and died on a very brutal cross for you and for me. This God who knows everything knows you. He knew your sin. He knew what you've done. He knew what you're going to do. And with all of that, He said, I love you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son to the world. God knew, and He still sent His Son into the world to die and live a perfect life, to make a way so that you could have in the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, you could have a relationship with the Father. You could know God. He could know you. So I want to encourage you here today, out of the truth in God's Word, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, I hope that today you do that. Scripture says that the gift of grace, God dying on a cross and being raised from the dead so that we might have life, redemption, as we looked at last week, in him through his blood shed on the cross all you have to do is receive that gift of grace grace is a is a fancy word that maybe you don't understand that means unconditional love unmerited favor and it's a free gift that he gives to you and to receive it you got to have faith you got to believe that hey the jesus that created all those things god i believe that you're 100 percent god jesus i believe you're 100 percent god i believe that you came that you died that you rose from the grave for my sins and i put my faith and my trust in you. And guess what happens? In that moment, when you, when you believe and you have faith and you confess it, guess what happens? Jesus comes into your life. Jesus, that Jesus comes into your life. And he dwells there. And he leads you. And he guides you. And he loves you. And he says he will never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. That is beautiful. And that's a truth that I hope you'll claim today. Our community at Pinewood Church aims to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus in Boulder and around the world. Thank you for your support. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find out more at pinewoodboulder.com or on any social media platform with the handle at pinewoodboulder.com.